Okay, I think we're recording now. There we go. Okay, I queued this up instead of my thing that I my intro. I want to play this. I hope you can hear it. Okay, this is a lot longer than I thought it was going to be. same effect that I thought it was going to have. Oh well. Hello everyone, I am back from my hiatus. Ooh, 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 ooh. It's been like several weeks because, you know, someone, your host, got sick. Oh my god, I got so sick. And they thought that I had strep throat, so they gave me antibiotics. I was on quarantine. This was like beginning of June and then... The next week I ran out of antibiotics and I was still so sick. And then I went and got tested and they all came back negative. And so they were like, here's some Advil. Hope it gets better. And I'm like, thanks guys. And so I haven't had my voice for like a month. But now everybody, Christy's back. All right. (laughs) Welcome to Dedication. I need to fix my microphone. Okay, there it's fixed. Um, Today I am drinking $3 wine from Winco. (laughs) And it's actually good wine. It's not like, it doesn't taste like $3 wine from Winco. It just tastes like good wine. It's strawberry wine too, so it's muy delicioso. My family is going on a trip this weekend, so I get the house all to myself. Oh my goodness. It is amazing. Uh, I get to cook dinner for myself. Usually my parents are the ones that cook dinner, and I'm like... That's the thing that I miss most about living by myself was uh, I would go to the grocery store every day. Because I'm, you know, trying to mimic the Europeans. (laughs) I'm so fancy. Um, yeah, I'd go to the grocery store every day and pick out, like, fresh meat and vegetables and fruits and sauces and stuff and go home and just kind of improvise every day. And I miss that a lot, and so I get to do that this weekend! I'm so excited! So, and I get to just, like, stay up all night and watch scary movies. Because, you know, I'm a 25-year-old adult. Okay. So I know that I've been announcing that I wanted to do um, a Kim Jong-il production by Paul Fisher. Well, I lost that book because I just have a sea of books in my house, right? I just have this incredible collection of books. And sometimes I put a book back and it gets lost. It just gets lost. That's just what happens. So, like, I have my boss asked to borrow 
the first Harry Potter book, and I can't find that either because I just have so many books. I don't have enough bookshelves, and so I have to, like, double them up on my bookshelves, and then I have, like, this five-foot-long dresser that is also, like, double um, spaced with books, right? And even then, that's completely full, so I'm, like, stacking things on top of it's. It's a nightmare, guys. It's crazy. I just have so many books. <sighs> so I lost it. I don't know what happened to it. Oh, it might be behind my bed. Oh, I definitely should have checked that out. <laughs> Whoops. Um, so this week I am doing Awakened. Oh, let me reach. Let me get it. Okay. Awakened. Uh, it's by James S. Murray and Darren Wearmouth, which... Darren Wearmouth, what an unfortunate last name. I am so sorry. You're really gonna wear that one out, huh? <laughs> it's time for wine. So the reason why I know about this book is because James Murray, You, if you guys watch Impractical Jokers, you'll know him as Murr. So I follow him on Instagram, and so he's been doubting about this book, and so I, uh, down, uh, I didn't download, I, uh, ordered it, I pre-ordered it, and, uh, got it to my house a few weeks ago, so I've been waiting to read it, because I really enjoy Impractical Jokers. If you guys haven't watched it, seriously, it, like, cures my depression, I'm not even kidding. Every time I feel depressed or sad, in literally any way. I watch Impractical Jokers, and I feel so much better about everything, about life. So, highly, highly recommend Impractical Jokers. There really isn't any legal way to watch it unless you go buy the DVDs, which I've actually kind of been saving money for. So, you kind of have to watch them illegally, which, you know... Uh... But you get to watch Impractical Jokers, and that's the great thing about it. So here we go. Awakened. Uh, a little bit more about the authors. So you know James Murray. Um, I forgot that he... <laughs> if you guys don't know the premise of Impractical Jokers, so the guys do embarrassing tasks throughout the show, and the guys who fail or uh, refuse to do any of the tasks, at the end of the show, they get punished. And so as one of the guy's punishment, Sal, as Sal's punishment, <laughs> Murray married Sal's sister. And I completely forgot about that until I googled James Murray. And it came up that his spouse was Sal Volcano's sister. Um. Man, so many memories. So good. Darren Wearmouth is, uh, other than his unfortunate name, he is a British author uh, who was in the military, which really shines through in this book. Um, he had a desk job and then decided to pursue his dream of writing, which, you know, good for you, Darren Wearmouth. That's awesome. I love hearing stories like that. So at the cover of this book, on the cover... The first review, the first line is, this book is no joke, which I love, because I was expecting it to be like a comedy book as well, because you know James Murray, but it isn't, 
It is not comedic at all. It is scurry stuff. It is scary. Um, so to kind of get you into what the plot of this book is, I'm going to read a little bit from it. I have to find the chapter. Okay, let me have a drink of wine, and then I'll get started. Ah, $3 strawberry wine. So, a little bit of context. This guy is in, is he in New Jersey or is he in Manhattan? I think he's in Manhattan. And they're opening up this thing called the Z-Train in between, like, Manhattan and New Jersey. And there are a few other locations that all link up. This train runs underneath the Hudson River. So... Cafferty is the mayor, and Ellen is his wife. That This is the inauguration of the Z-Train. So here we go. The left speaker crackled. Greetings from the best subway train in the world. Hi, honey. How's the ride? Smooth sailing. I'm here with 64 passengers, including the mayor of Jersey City and our two governors in the first car. The champagne is sweet. I'll give you a taste in two minutes. Claps rippled through the speaker. Don't drink too much, Reynolds said. Ellen laughed. We'll give you a glass, Mr. President. Thanks for the live update, Cafferty said. And face the cameras. My fellow New Yorkers, our neighbors in New Jersey, President Reynolds, distinguished guests, guests. It's my pleasure to christen New York's newest technological innovation. This achievement pushes us ahead of any other city in the world. Ladies and gentlemen, in less than 90 seconds, I give you the Z-Train. The crowd burst into applause, and a few members of the MTA team whistled. Cafferty took a deep breath. His decade-long dream was about to be realized, and with the project complete, his vow to rebuild his marriage could finally be attempted. A time of 12.04 displayed on the platform's clock. Ellen, can you see the pavilion yet? Cafferty asked. Nobody replied. Ellen? A short shriek erupted through the speaker, following by a static hiss. The time changed to 12.05. The camera crew swung to face the tunnel. Quiet chatter filled the air, punctuated by several more static hisses. Cafferty checked his watch to make sure the platform's clock wasn't faulty. It displayed a time of 12.06, and he watched the second hand carry out a complete revolution. Reynolds stepped across to him. Two minutes late, Tom. Patience. Cafferty inclined toward the mic. Ladies and gentlemen, because of an earlier incident, the Z-Train is running three minutes behind schedule. A few of the guests laughed at, laughed at his mocking of the typical intercom announcement by a subway conductor. However, the apprehensive faces of the MTA team matched Cafferty's initial emotion. He couldn't detect even the faintest noise of the train approaching. The platform clock flicked to 12.08. Three faint bangs rumbled from somewhere deep in the tunnel, and nervous mutters rippled through the crowd. At the same time, five of Reynolds' Secret Service detail, stalking near the entrance to the semicircular walled command center, moved closer to the stage. But all eyes were focused on the tunnel, and another sixty seconds passed. Four minutes late confirmed something serious had gone wrong, and without any information forthcoming, Cafferty decided to find out for himself. Reynolds, now flanked by two human tanks in typical dark suits and dark glasses, blocked his path. What's the problem? Wait here. I'll be a moment. 
Cafferty calmly descended the stage, headed around the back of it, and entered the sturdy command center. Internally, his mind raced through the possible aftermath of a failed first run. He imagined front-page pictures of the train being towed into the Jersey City station, along with mocking headlines. He could feel things falling apart, just as they had with Ellen. He shook those thoughts from his head and headed toward Diego Munoz. As the Z-Train's head of operations, Diego sat inside the command center with his eight-person team. Each peered at the measurements and reports displayed on the monitors that filled the walls of the basketball court-sized room. He twisted in his chair to face Cafferty and mirrored his look of concern. What's up? Cafferty asked. We don't know. The train just vanished from the tracking display. What does that mean? Munoz shrugged. Tom... It vanished, like it lost all power in an instant, without warning. Cafferty rubbed his eyes with his index finger and thumb. He was seething, but knew that exploding with rage wouldn't help anyone. The team members here had been selected from the MTA's star employees, and if they didn't know the problem, nobody did. Raised voices outside broke him out of his thoughts, and he returned to the main area of the pavilion. David North, his reliable head of security, joined Cafferty as he made for the side of the track. Everything okay, he asked. Looks like a power outage. What have I missed? Listen. Metallic squeaks echoed in the distance. Cafferty quickened his stride and joined the crowd on the platform, peering into the pitch-black tunnel. The silhouette of the train appeared out of the darkness, rolling down the shallow incline toward the platform. Its silver nose emerged out of the tunnel, and its powerless body drifted to a standstill in front of the assembled crowd. The pavilion echoed with sharp intakes of breath and the shuffling of shoes as people toward the front st staggered back. Only a few small shards of glass remained around the edges of the front car's twenty windows. Cafferty's heart raced as he pushed his way forward. Blood smothered the interior. The walls, the ceiling, the seats, the floor, everywhere. A crimson handprint on the opposite side of the car extended into four finger lines and stopped at a set of doors. The blood overwhelmed the train with, the, with both its dense color and coppery smell, but it was empty of passengers. And that's... Chat, that's half of chapter two. Um, so the basic plot, if you didn't get it, they're opening up this Z train to help connect New Jersey and New York, and it runs under the Hudson River. And the inaugural run of it, it goes through the tunnel, and then they lost it, and then it comes out the other side, and it's completely empty of passengers, but all that's left is blood. And that's it. Really spooky stuff. Um, I was really fascinated by... Uh, it's a good beginning to a book. I really enjoyed it. So let's kind of list out our characters, our main characters. So you have Cafferty, who's the mayor of New York. Reynolds, who I mentioned a few times in the last chapter, is uh, president. You have Cafferty's wife, Ellen. Diego Munoz, who's... The head of the MTA team, uh, so he's like an engineer. He's like a super nerd. I love him. You have Samuels, who's the head of the Secret Service. And you have David North, who is Cafferty's right-hand man. And you have Sarah Bocut, who is head of the SWAT team. 
I guess I didn't mention Sal or Mike, but they come in on a train and try to save everyone. So usually what I try to do is I go through and uh, kind of talk about like the plot, but uh, the plot is um, kind of complicated. There's four different plot lines that run through at the same time, so I'm just not even going to attempt it. It can get really confusing from just me trying to explain it, and so if you read it, it's easy to follow along. And It's actually a really good storytelling technique because with one cliff, you end with one cliffhanger, and then you go to another story, you go through the plot, and then you end on another cliffhanger, and it's very good. But to me, the writing was, it was decent. It wasn't bad. I mean, I'm so glad that this guy, uh, Darren Wearmouth, you know, got out of his desk job. He's pursuing his dream of writing, which is so incredible. You know, you do you, girl. But, I, oh man, you, uh, you should work on your writing a little bit. I'm sorry. It, to me, it read like a 286-page creepypasta which is fine, there's nothing wrong with that, you know, it just didn't impress me, you know, it, I don't know, it's just not really my cup of tea, I guess, so, ugh. so I call that Maze Runner Syndrome, I don't know if you guys have read Maze Runner, but I got the exact same feeling from it, where it was a good plot, and the story was just phenomenal. It's also uh, Twilight as well. I feel the same way. The The plot is decent. It's good. You have a good story. But, oh my god, the writing is so awful. It's, uh, with That's the one thing about Maze Runner is he's a good storyteller, but he's not a good writer. And it's just something that he needs to really focus on, you know? Ugh. One thing he needs to work on is showing, not telling. Oh my god, that's the one thing I'm like, dude, I'm not stupid. Don't treat your audience like they're stupid, you know? I wish I had a few examples in front of me, but... Um, yeah, he just spent the whole time telling us and not showing us. That's the one thing that Stephen King talks about in um, his book on writing. He says, show, don't tell, which uh, this guy really needs to take a page out of that book. But, I mean, again, it's not bad. And I'm so glad that this guy is going out and living his dream. Like, that's awesome, dude. Go for it. And I think that this book would actually make a fantastic movie. Like, the whole, oh my god, like, so basic outline plot point okay very basic the re spoiler alert if you know if you've been listening to this podcast for a while you know if you've listened to my episodes I spoil things so you know read the book if you don't want it spoiled for you but the reason why they uh the train came through uh and didn't have any passengers and there was blood everywhere is because that there were these creatures in the earth, like, in a nest underneath uh, the, the tunnel. And so these huge black creatures came up and, like, just started killing everyone, you know? So, you know, so this will make a great movie because, like, the creatures don't like oxygen, first of all, and they don't like light. 
So there's one point where the president and Munoz are like running through this tunnel and they have these uh, strobe light grenades. And there's one point where they like roll a strobe light grenade and then there's two or three of the black creatures that you couldn't see before. But as soon as those strobe lights come on, you could see them in the corridor and in the hallway and they just like start attacking and stuff. And I think that would be so cool just seeing the strobe light go off and like these black creatures like attacking you. I think the uh, strobe light is a really good movie technique. I love that. It really builds suspense. Um, they did that in uh, Twin Peaks, I believe. Yeah. Um, I just watched Twin Peaks for the first time and I am crying. I am still crying two weeks later. Oh man, I love Twin Peaks. I still haven't watched the newest season though, so spoiler alert. No spoilers, please. Anyway, that's all I have to say about it. You know, I mean, it wasn't bad. Wasn't, you know, a book that's good. <laughs> I'm trying to think of, of the name of a book that's good. Uh, <laughs> you know, it wasn't bad. It wasn't good, but it wasn't bad, you know. So, yeah, that's it. That's Awakened. Um, right now I'm reading... Oh, God, I'm reading The Chemist by Stephanie Meyer. And the plot point is... That's the thing about Stephanie Meyer that I... Sorry, uh, sidebar nation. That's the one thing about Stephanie Meyer that I hate is she takes these incredible plot points and just makes them so boring. How can she do that? Like, that's the one thing about Twilight is... Literally everything else surrounding Edward and Bella was amazing, you know? You have a vampire during the Civil War times, you know? You have Alice, who was in a mental institution in the 1920s, who was there because she is a psychic. You have Carlisle, who was, like, in the 1800s, I think, you have oh, Rosalie. Don't even get me started on Rosalie. Her plot, her whole character backstory could have filled four books because it's amazing. And she just spent like 30 seconds on it. And then we had to, we were forced to sit and focus on Bella and Edward, which is so boring and I don't care. Oh my God. And then even just, like, the Volturi, the, um, uh, if you don't know, the vampire lords or whatever who were in Italy. The, even a book about them would have been more fascinating than, oh, I'm abusive. Oh my god, I hate it. Because Edward is abusive. You know that, right? Like, the whole... She's not allowed to see her friends. Like, are you kidding me? Uh, and then he takes... Edward physically removes Bella's battery from her truck so that she can't go see Jacob, who's her best friend. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Like, seriously? That's abuse. And that shouldn't be tolerated. But you know what? Oh, it's romantic because they're 17. Oh my god. It just makes me want to watch Things We Do in the Shadows, honestly. Oh, what a great movie. It's so good. Anyway, 
back to the chemist. <laughs> I mean, there's a reason why I got a hardback copy for $7 at Barnes & Noble. It's not really the best book. It, so it's about this girl who's running away from the government because I, I don't know why yet. But she's running away from the government. And I'm like, that sentence in itself is very exciting. And so when I read that, I was like, oh, well, maybe Stephanie Meyer, you know, got her shit together. And she finally wrote a decent book. But I'm about 60 pages into it. And I'm like, how can you make this boring? How? And of course, the girl looks exactly like Bella, except she just has short brown hair. But other than that, she's like, I'm unassuming and I'm just normal and plain with brown hair and I like books. So it's basically just like Bella running away from the government, except... I feel like Stephanie Meyer got so much flack for Bella being stupid because Bella's stupid. And so I think she's like, well, now I'm going to write a book about a girl who's smart. And that's awesome. Good for you, Stephanie Meyer. Just execute it well, you know? Don't be like, Oop, the, the, type, 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 type. You can't see me, but I'm pretending like I'm typing. I'm so smart for writing this. So next week I'm going to do The Chemist by Stephanie Meyer and I'll tell you how I really feel. <laughs> if you still don't have any idea how I feel about it. <laughs> um, okay, uh, we, we're only at a half hour for this uh, podcast today. But next week is a creepypasta episode with my brother. So... We're gonna do that, and then after that I'll do The Chemist by Stephanie Meyer, and I'm sure I will have a lot of opinions about it. So let me um, bring up this video. Oh, pause. Wait. This is how we're gonna end this podcast episode, but I just gotta like skip it, you know. Skip this ad. Gotta go through and find where I was. But uh, where was I in this video? I don't know. I don't know. Come on. Okay, here we go. This is how we're gonna end.